Hey everyone, my name's Nicole. I'm Brenna. I'm Reed. And this is FitClick. podcast where we talk about fan fiction. Each week, the three of us bring a fic to discuss. Reed, what is your pick for this week? My fic for this episode is This is a Kind of Grief by Memory, and I got that right on the first try. It is a critical role fic, and it is tagged Beauregard Yasha, but is mostly just a Yasha character study. Brenna, what's your pick? My pick for this week is Strange Darling by Etymology Playground. It is another fic for The Untamed. It is Long Wanji Weiwushian, and I am excited to talk about it. Uh, Nick, what's your pick? My pick for this episode is called His Own Strange Altar by VX Mins. It is a BTS fic, and the pairing is Taehyung Jimin. And that's what's up. (laughs) (laughs) So it's been a little while since we've just you know, checked in, had a chat. Just caught up. Just caught up. Um, Not between the three of us. We talk quite frequently, (laughs) but, you know, just with the ficlets. Although, arguably, if you're in our Discord, you've probably caught up with us there, too. Time to catch up even more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, Brenna, what have you been up to? What have you been reading apart from last-minute scrambling for (laughs) ficlet picks? Uh, Reed, what a good question. Um, in terms of fic, I'm not gonna lie, like, not a whole lot. Um, I know we have, like, Reed and I have, uh, like, our fic tracker spreadsheets, and I looked at the months of June and July, and I was like, hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's not a whole lot there. (laughs) I feel like I read, I read for fic click, and sometimes I go on, like, two-day-long rabbit holes down certain... Uh, strange fandoms that either I'm not in or haven't been in for a long time. Um, and, th- and then I emerge from them and then don't read fic for another week or so. Uh, but to make up for that, I have been, of course, watching a lot of K-dramas, as I am wont to do, um, and reading Heaven Official's Blessings, um, which is very long. So I'm counting that as my sort of like words per day <laughs> read instead of fic. That's valid. You told me it's what, like longer than the entire Lord of the Rings series? Yes, it's it's seven hundred k, and I think. Oh my god! <laughs> just some just some light reading. <laughs> it's it's between the links of the whole Lord of the Rings series and the whole Harry Potter series. Um, I did actually see a very book? cool. It's. I have it as an EPUB of one book, but I think technically it's broken up into five parts. Um, I saw a very cool tweet today, actually, uh, where someone had like hand bound themselves a uh, physical copy of the full book, uh, broken up into the five books, but like of the English translation that's out there. Um, It was awesome. I was like, one jealous because <laughs> it was very cool and it doesn't exist um as a like purchasable physical copy like the english translation is done by fans so it's just online um and two it really made me realize just how long it is because they had stacked all the books on top of each other and i was like all right <laughs> that is impressive as hell a side note for those of you who don't know what I mean when I say Heaven Officials Blessings, it is a Chinese novel. Um, 
It's by the same author who wrote the original novel that, like, The Untamed was adapted from. Uh, she has three out right now, um, and this is another one. It, it hasn't really been adapted into a live-action show yet. Uh, yeah, as far as I know, the only adaptation of Heaven Official's Blessings so far is the, like, ongoing, uh, so, like, graphic novel adaptation that's that's posted each week. Uh, so I've been reading along with that as well, because it's it's behind where I am in the book. So that's been fun. Um, but yeah, uh, you might see it abbreviated on like Twitter or other fandom spaces as TGCF. In Chinese, I think it's something like Tianguan Chifu, but that was probably not great. But yeah, if you see it around, you might see it either referred to as Heaven Officials Blessings, which is the English translation of the title, or TGCF. Um, but yeah, that's what I've been doing with all of my free time lately. <laughs> what have you guys been up to? Yeah, unlike you, Bren, I have been neglecting books for fic. I'm in the middle of two books right now, technically, but I have been reading so many works of fan fiction, uh, which I guess is not out of the ordinary for me. Uh, one thing that I did want to start doing, um, or that I did start again, I guess, was I had been doing this thing where I had like a million tabs of fic open that I had finished reading and like wanted to comment on, but hadn't gotten around to doing it yet. And then my computer crashed and I lost every single tab that I had, which Ugh. was so many. And like, I, I felt like I just needed to let them go. <laughs> it was kind of freeing. And now that I was able to start fresh, I have been trying to go back to a thing that I used to do that I really wanted to get back to, which was as soon as I finish a fic that I enjoyed, I leave a comment and then I close it. Like I just do it. Um, so A, I'm leaving a comment on every fic that I have read and enjoyed, which is very nice, and B, I don't have 12 billion tabs open at any given moment, so I have been a fan. Also, I've been getting comment replies back, which is, like, so great. It's like I wake up in the morning and I'm like, do-do-do, oh, my fandom email, oh, reply to a comment that I left, wow, and it it's makes like me so happy. It's like a little gift. Yeah. <laughs> so that has been really nice, but that's been sort of what... I've been up to in terms of like new stuff because the rest is mostly the same. I really think like getting comment replies is an underrated part of like fandom and fic. I love it so much and especially like having been someone who who doesn't post much on AO3, um, like most of my engagement like with the comment function was getting comment replies after I left comments mm -hmm. and it's still so delightful. I got one back earlier this week from a comment I had left months and months ago on a fic and I love the fic it's by an author I really like and their comment back to me was so delightful like I feel like I felt even more delayed than than like had I received a comment on my own fic <laughs> <laughs> like I think there's a conversation aspect to it that I I just really love about getting that reply back there was a meme I saw on Twitter recently that felt just so accurate that was like a person thinking and their thoughts were like you know like wow, like, I really appreciate this. It's so nice to have someone oh, yeah. engage with my work. Like, I'm glad that you saw that I really tried to do, like, X, Y, Z. It's this whole long thing. And then what comes out of their mouth is just, ah, thank you so much for reading. Glad you enjoyed. <laughs> Which, like, as someone yeah. who posted a fic, like, eh, a little while ago, and I, I occasionally still get comments on, like, that is what my reply section looks mm -hmm. like. And I feel really bad. Like, <laughs> I do appreciate every comment. It makes me really happy. But sometimes all I can say back is just like, ah, thank oh you. Oh, my God, thank you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like sometimes I find myself like saying way too much. <laughs> like if, if a commenter on my fic is like, oh, I really like this part. I'll be like, okay, great. Now you get to understand like everything I thought about while I was writing this part, whether or not you <laughs> yeah, wanted yeah, yeah. to know it. So like, here's your gift. Oops. <laughs> yes. 
some unsolicited behind the scenes content. Oh, I've done a little bit of that too, for sure. But I was going to say, weirdly, uh, I also have been reading a book, Wild. Wow. Um, If you listen to episode 17, you might be aware that we did a uh, fic for the Shades of Magic series. And I enjoyed the fic so much that I was like, and and Nick owns the series, so he was like, oh, maybe I'll read the series and then come back to this fic. And I'm now, like, a little over halfway through book two. Um, I, like, fully agree with what you guys said in that episode that, like, it is a book that is easy to get into when all you've been reading is fic. Yeah. Um, if that makes any sort of sense, because, I don't know, I, I definitely think, like, obviously, like, reading a book is different than reading a fic where you already know the source material. Um, it is it is interesting reading the series having read a fic that takes place post-canon. Because um, yeah. it's like, it's like Alucard shows up in book two and I'm like, hey, what's up? Like, I know oh, it. Man. I know some of your deal, not all of it, but um, I know some spoilers. Uh, but yeah, I've been enjoying that so much. Um, hey, some, sometimes it's nice to read books. Who would have thought? <laughs> what? Oh, as an update, um, my birthday episode was pretty recent, but at the time of recording it, I had not actually turned 25, but I have since then, which, according to Brenna's rules of fandom, does officially make me an internet hag, um, which is really exciting. And if you are in our Discord, you might be aware that we did um, little like presentations. I don't I don't know if um, you guys have seen the thing that's gone around Twitter where people just like have a PowerPoint presentation party for any topic that they feel very passionate about. But Brenna's topic was hagdom in fandom, <laughs> and it was very good and very funny. Um, and as a newly initiated hag, I really appreciated it. Thank you, Reed, for your praise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think in total we had 11 presentations. I think that's right, from the three of us and then from folks who like listen to the show um, and are in our Discord server. So we are hoping to do it again at some point because folks who presented already have new ideas. People who couldn't make it to this last day want to make it to a future one. So if it sounds like you would be into this kind of a thing, uh, come join us. We're having a really good time. And if you're already in there, Plan your next presentation and stay tuned. Oh. <laughs> I do also want to mention, um, even though we are a podcast about fic, uh, the the PowerPoints were about all kinds of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Like mine, mine was about a fandom experience, sort of, but it was also a joke. Um, <laughs> but people did all kinds of stuff, uh, both fandom related, uh, related to media, or just related to interests outside of any of that. Um, so I thought it was a really nice mix. That's one of the things that made it so fun for me. Uh, so if you're thinking, oh, like, I would love to do that, but I want to present on like, this niche topic that isn't fandom affiliated. Don't worry, we'd love to have you and to hear about it. I learned that a banana is a berry. Yeah, allegedly. <laughs> well, <laughs> There's some controversy there, yeah. Um, No, there really was such a wide range. It was so fun. Thank you to everyone who, like, presented or just joined to chat. Uh, It was a really good time. We have the best fans in the world. (laughs) (laughs) One other thing that I've been up to recently is reading the three fics for our episode, including This is a Kind of Grief. Read. Take it away. So my fic this episode is This is a Kind of Grief by Nememory. 
I listen, every time I try to say this name, I feel like that scene from Finding Nemo where they ask Nemo what kind of a habitat he lives in and he's like, anemone, and he just does that a lot. That is me trying to pronounce this author's name. I'm so sorry to the author if you're listening. This was a really lovely fic. <laughs> I just can't pronounce your AO3 name. Um, so this is a critical role fic for campaign two. It is Beauregard Yasha. Um, it is also tagged as Molly Mock and Yasha. It was written after just six episodes of Campaign 2, so it is set very early into the campaign. And it's mostly a character study for Yasha, um, examining her time with Molly Mock before they meet the Mighty Nine and also a little bit pre-Molly Mock. Um, just based on the little hints of Yasha's backstory that we had at that point. So in case you're unfamiliar with Critical Role, it is a group of voice actors and good friends who do a podcast playing D&D. This is a fic for their second campaign, so they had a campaign that started before they ever recorded, um, that they started making a podcast for partway through. That one ended in 2017, and then they picked up this campaign in 2018. It's an actual play podcast, so they play pretty true to D&D's rules. It is every week. There is a lot of content. Usually episodes are between three and a half to four hours. Um, yeah, if you're not super familiar, I think all you really need to know is that it is a D&D-based game or a D&D-based podcast. Um, and this takes place, as I said, pretty early into the campaign, so there's not a whole lot of canon knowledge that you need to know going in. Um, I don't really think there are any content warnings for this fic. The tone is pretty in line with the show, if you're familiar. I actually found this fic because one of our dear, dear ficlets, Stifled Laughter, had put in our Discord server a link to a Google spreadsheet from a fic convention. Nick, you presented at this. A fandom and, convention. Yeah, maybe you can explain what con uh, context is better than I can. Sure, yeah, I moderated a panel on Wump and Hurt Comfort, which was a lot of fun. Um, context is a convention that happens yearly. It is a fandom convention. There are a whole lot of different panels. Some are fandom specific, some are about tropes, some are about how people operate in fandom. There was like a vidding 101 panel for people who like wanted to learn how to do fan vids. There was a vid show that was like three hours long, which oh my was, God. It was really fun. I like got set up with like my snacks and stuff and like <laughs> sat and watched it. It was great. Uh, it's multi-fandom, but it went virtual this year. So um, I think in some ways it was definitely a little bit different from how it would have run normally in terms of just like meeting people and all that jazz. But in another way, I think it made it a little bit more accessible. It was my first ever context. So yeah, but there was one panel that was on Femslash, so I think that's what Reed is getting at here. Yeah, so there were a few spreadsheets that were compiled for different, like, fic rec lists, and one of them was Femslash. Um, so Stifled Laughter had put that in our Discord server, and I was sort of looking through it, and I found this fic. And I really, really liked it. Um, if you listened to our last episode, you got a bit of a glimpse into our fic picking process, and one of the things that we talked about is, like, will my co-host like this? And I was, I think, three sentences into this fic, and I was like, oh, Nicole will have a lot of thoughts <laughs> about this fic. Yeah, I just really loved it. I think it was such an interesting read, reading it now that there are over 100 episodes into Campaign 2, um, and seeing what stuff still feels, like, so true versus, like, what 
parts of this fic were written, as I said, like just guessing sort of on Yasha's backstory versus like what we know now. Um, the writing was phenomenal. And I have so many feelings about Molly Muck. Um, yeah, this is just, it's a short fic, but it was really, really good. Um, packed a punch in its Yasha feelings and also its Molly feelings. Um, so I really liked it. But as ever, I turn it over to my co-hosts. What did y'all think? I really enjoyed this. It's been a while since I like engaged with Critical Role content. Um, I watched a lot of the beginning of Campaign 2, but sort of fell off and then found it intimidating to get back into or get caught up again, uh, just because there's so much content on a weekly basis. Um, but this was really fun to like get back in with some of these characters who um, I know fairly well, and with Yasha, who I think is a really wonderful character to explore. Um, I haven't read a ton of like campaign two fic outside of like, I guess what my friends have either written or wrecked or brought for this podcast. <laughs> um, but it was like, I don't know, it's just one of those moments where like, I like doing this pod because I get to kind of dip my toe back in fandoms that I'm not really actively uh, looking for fic on my own for, but that I do really enjoy. I think the writing of this uh, is so good. I think the way it gets into Yasha's head, even having just known her for like six episodes worth of the show is really incredible. Um, I didn't realize it was written that early when I was reading it. So I was kind of trying to figure out like, there's some moments where I was like, oh, is this referring to sort of things that we learn later on about Yasha's backstory? And it turns out, no, this person just did a great job at sort of like, uh, I don't even know how to put it. Um, sort of... <laughs> generating what feels like a really plausible sort of story around Yasha based on her character. Um, and I thought one of the things I found myself thinking about that I think is really interesting is, uh, like, I think we're going to get into this, all three of us, but um, just the relationship between Fic and this show is is quite different than um, other types of media because the story changes every week pretty much as it advances uh, with people playing the game. Um, and and one thing I think is really interesting about it is just how it sort of fits in between, like, on the one hand, fit can get outdated quite quickly because canon changes. But on the other hand, I think this fandom does an excellent job at um, sort of pulling out, like, the truths of the story or, like, the truths of the characters in a way that even if canon has changed from, from where it was at when something was written, it still feels really true to the campaign overall. Um, and this fic felt that way a lot to me. I love Yasha <laughs> so much. I just was thinking about her while I was reading this and also while I was not reading this and having so many feelings. Yeah, I mean, I I have written a fic, not dissimilar to this, I think, in, in structure, at least, and focus. Uh, looking at Yasha and trying to fill in some of her blanks because her backstory is very fascinating and we didn't get it for a while. And part of that is because Ashley Johnson, who plays Yasha on the show, spent a lot of campaign two in and out um, because she had other work obligations going on. So Yasha spent a lot of time either separate from the party or with the party, but like very quiet because Ashley's not there to play her. So um, she has a lot of blanks to fill in. Uh, this is set pretty early, but I absolutely loved the exploration of like what could be true about Yasha. Um, like Bren said, the canon is constantly evolving. We get four hours of new content every single week. Like trying to keep up with that as a fic writer, woo! <laughs> 
it's uh you have to just cut your losses at some point because you're not going to know everything the characters are hiding things from each other the dm is hiding things from the characters you you can't know exactly what is happening and things can change at the drop of a hat so i love the commitment to exploring a very specific version of yasha that could have existed after episode six and no later really um so i loved that um i was very excited when we or when Reed, I guess, chose this fic. I didn't. I wasn't part of that. <laughs> when, when I saw that this was the fic that was chosen by Reed, um, because this is an author I really love for this fandom. I've read a lot of their works, and I had read this one, which I didn't even realize at first. So I, I just had a great time reading it. I loved it. I love Yasha. I was all the way inside of my feelings about the early part of this campaign, because like Brenna, I watched pretty diligently for a while and then fell off and then recently got back into it after reading recaps. I wasn't going to catch up on, what, hundreds of hours of content that I was missing? I think like over 200 hours. So, you know, you just kind of fast forward, you get the important bits, you hop back in. <laughs> That's my goal, at least. So now I'm kind of back to really being invested in these characters. And I have even more Yasha feelings than I did before. Amazing. Thanks. I do think it's so funny that, um, or interesting that you said you really enjoy other works by this author in the fandom because I found this so amusing and not relatable in the sense like that I have done this because my AO3 uh, published count is much lower, but just the mood of this felt very relatable. Um, this was written in 2018. I get to the bottom of this fic and the author's note says like, this is my first work for the fandom, et cetera, et cetera. And I clicked, hey. I clicked on the author's name and they currently have 59 works for Critical Role. <laughs> Amazing. And I was like, that is simply incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, like you guys said, I think it is so interesting because Nick, you said that this is a Yasha that could only exist, like specifically could only exist directly after episode six. And yet, I think all three of us agree that it feels still very true to the Yasha we know 90-something episodes later. Yeah. Um, Like, the author just did an absolutely phenomenal job with the characterization and, I don't know, lucky guessing at what Yasha's <laughs> backstory is. I genuinely can't remember what all we knew about Yasha six episodes in, not but I'm going to guess, yeah, not a lot. Um. I do just want to point out, um, if you are not familiar with Critical Role, and if you did not listen to our other discussion of the fic Resonance that took place in Campaign 2, there is a huge, huge part of this fic uh, that changes your reading depending on when you read this fic. Um, so one of the major other characters in this fic is Molly Mock Tea Leaf. Um, when the campaign starts... All of the characters are pretty much paired up so that they come into the campaign like with at least like some relationships developed. And Yasha and Molly were traveling together in a circus. So 26 episodes in, the Mighty Nine, which is the name of the group for the player characters and their occasional allies, were tracking down a group of people who had kidnapped two of the members of their party. Three. Three. Sorry, Yasha. Oh, no. Oh, you're right. Yeah, Three. I, I am. <laughs> um, they were tracking down three of the members of their party. Um, and long story short, they got into a battle that they were not prepared enough for. And Molly Mock ends up dying. Beep, 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 beep. Yes. Yeah, for something that happened like a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was really brutal. D&D &D does have ways to resurrect characters, but... 
this was, even though it was 26 episodes in, like, they were still pretty low-leveled. Like, they did not have access, and they honestly still don't really have access to the magic to um, resurrect someone if they've been dead for a little while. Um, or in Molly Mog's case, even immediately. Uh, they just didn't have that kind of magic yet. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, no player characters died in campaign one until the very end. Yep. Yeah, so... Um, different. It was a huge, huge blow to have Molly die. But in this fic, he's alive and well. He's fine. So that just like was such an interesting thing for me to grapple with as I was reading this, in part because I really loved Molly and I really love the Molly of this fic. And so it was like sad reading it, but also, I don't know, there's just something so interesting about looking at this time capsule of this moment in fandom in which... Yeah, of course, the most important person in Yasha's life is going to be Molly Mock. Like, that's what's that's what had been established. And their dynamic is so interesting. And there's so much there to explore. And then you don't get to see that story through, even as Molly Mock still very much has a presence in the group, again, like 90-something episodes later. Yeah, what I think is interesting about this fic is, like, when the campaign starts, uh, some of the characters have each other involved in their backstories, in some ways, if that makes sense. Like... Um, Yasha and Molly Mock come into the campaign knowing each other, and so do a couple other characters in in pairs. Um, so it definitely makes sense for like this point in the campaign for Molly and Yasha's like relationship to be very central. But I think at the same time, even though Molly is like the second presence in this fic, it's a lot about Yasha feeling out of place and lonely this whole time and like very on her own and everything. Um, and I think that's one of those things about Yasha that has really carried throughout the campaign. Um, but I just found that sort of dynamic interesting where it's like, you know, this character, other character of Molly, like is like, you can't really write this story about Yasha at the beginning of the campaign without it, including Molly. But at the same time, what is that relationship at this point, you know? Like, again, we've only had six episodes. You're sort of just getting to know these characters more fully, getting to see sort of how they continue to interact with each other. And because it's um like an RPG game, you're also getting to see the actors sort of settle into these roles over those episodes. Um, Like, it's I think that's one of the things that's really interesting about like the beginning of campaign two to me is they obviously came in with this idea of what they want their characters to be, but, you know, it takes a few, like, hours or a few episodes to really sort of get into it fully, I think. Um, like, it's it's difficult. I think anyone who's p- ever played, like, uh, a game like D&D or any other sort of, like, tabletop RPG game, like, knows it's hard to be in character that much. And even though these people are actors, these are characters that they also made up, you know? So they're sort of having to make these... Uh, split second decisions about how these new people that they're just sort of embodying are going to react to stuff. And I think it's interesting to sort of look at this as as an example too of like what what do we have at this moment from these people who are who are still sort of in their minds developing these characters in some ways, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And like what we extrapolate based off of these characters honestly has a lot to do with like the way in which they were built mechanically. I was thinking about how Yasha is a fallen Asimar. That's that's just a huge part of her character. And what that means is an Asimar is like a this angelic kind of being type situation where you you have this kind of divine blood and there there is something 
holy spiritual elevated, but Yasha is a fallen Asimar. So there are different traits that come with that. And all that we know, but something that we do know about her from the immediately meeting her is that something horrible has happened to her in the past. Either she did something terrible, something terrible happened to her, both at the same time. And so that really informs, I think, the characterization in this fic, which a lot of the fic takes place pre-canon. Um, so before we actually meet them um, on the screen in Campaign 2. And we do see in this fic, too, the same way that we saw in the show, everyone's still figuring each other out. You have Yasha, who is like sort of doing her best in that initial tavern scene where she's like, ah, hey, <laughs> you you guys are wonderful. And it's like sarcastic, but not sarcastic. It's a very flat delivery. And Molly replies like, oh, she's the charm. And the way it's described in the fic is Yasha sees it as this harrowingly fond thing of like their their relationship is still building and changing and growing. And it is dangerous almost for her to get close to someone Partially because we know that something happened to her in the past, even though we don't know at this point at all what that thing was or even could have been. I just think the Molly-Yasha dynamic is so fascinating and so interestingly played out in this fic. Um, so for those who aren't familiar, like Yasha is this towering, her class is barbarian, mm -hmm. like she's stoic and very strong and intimidating and Molly Mock is flash and charm and uh, a liar more than he ever tells the truth. Um, he's very he's very much like a face of the circus um, and well suited to that role. And Yasha in this fic was hired to be a bouncer mm -hmm. um, because she is just intimidating. But there's there's a softness to Yasha that this fic lets her have. And there is incredible sharpness to Molly. Um, and so the ways in which they balance each other are so interesting they have some like very fun back and forth banter like molly will call her out because he knows the type of girl that yasha goes for or yasha will sort of roll her eyes at his antics even as she is fond and also even as she is like dreading the fact that she is fond um because like sort of by nature as nick had mentioned um by nature of the fact that ashley johnson is in and out of the campaign a lot it is built into Yasha's character that she does not stay in one place very long. Like she is not good at building roots. Um, and so I think this fic also does a really good job of digging into the why of Yasha staying, but also how difficult it is for her to be making that choice and how she is still grappling with it. And I don't know. I mean, now Ashley has been in, like in the recent episodes, she's been in a ton of them. And I still think there is an element of Yasha feeling unsettled. I don't know. Like, Yasha is very much part of the group, but I, I think that is always going to be like an intrinsic part of her is mm -hmm. a fear at staying in one place or getting too attached to one group of people. And that's something that's true in this fic. And that's something that's true now. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things I like so much about this fic is even as we're seeing Yasha sort of start to build these relationships, particularly with Molly, like, her character is very isolated and, like, quite lonely in a lot of ways. And I think that's what, like, grabbed me about her in this fic. Um, I, I think one thing that was sort of interesting about watching uh, fandom in these, like, early episode days of Campaign 2 is the sort of, like, 
lore that fandom built around characters and relationships. Like we didn't have that much of canon to go off of, um, but I feel like people got really attached to certain characters or certain dynamics um, that then would play out either similarly or differently in can in in the actual game or in canon. Um, but I think like Molly is one of those characters that people got really attached to early on. And I think it's interesting to kind of go back and see how central he was in these stories even early on, um, even as you have all of these different characters. Uh, and I think like one of the things I like so much about Yasha is like she's interesting because you just really don't know almost anything about like what's happening inside her brain, I think. And I think that's the case for a lot of the campaign two characters, to be quite honest, especially at the beginning. They're all quite guarded about their pasts and their lives. Um, but I think that the moment that really got me in this fic is uh, they're like walking along next to the caravan of of the circus that they're, they're both employed by. Um, and Molly's sort of like calling out to her. And Yasha goes, what do you want? Yasha says. She breaks the rigid hold she has on her spine and leans back, clenching and unclenching her fists. Her body is full of dust. It creaks, bones snapping back into place, head clearing behind its previous repetition of keep walking, keep walking, keep walking. You should take a turn sitting down in the caravan, Mollymok says. You've been walking all day. If Yasha sits down, she will die. And I was like... <laughs> I just really like that so much. Like, yes, it's dramatic, but it's sort of very fitting too. I, I like this, I like the sort of repetition that this fic had of, of Yasha sort of needing to be in, in motion, but in this sort of soothing, repetitive motion of like walking or something like that, of this sort of push to keep moving forward. I found that really compelling um, because I think a lot of her story with campaign two is is like as much as it is her leaving and coming back it's when she's back it's her sort of learning to be in this place like not necessarily in a physical place as much because the the party moves around a ton to like play the game basically um but like learning how to be part of this group in a way and i i like that we're getting a sense of what what she feels inside that makes doing so so difficult yeah, I mean, I completely connect with what you're saying about, like, the way that the the language and the structure of this fic mirrors kind of her internal world. I actually listened to this fic. I listened to the pod fic of this fic by Rhea314, uh, which is linked under works inspired by this one on the fic itself. And I really feel like that enhanced my experience in a lot of ways because of the way that this fic is written. It's very comma heavy. The clauses are very short. Um, things link together. There's a lot of repetition. And so hearing that out loud, it had a different impact, I think, than just reading it on the page. And so I really appreciated that. And if you have a spare 19 minutes, I would recommend having a listen uh, because I really feel like it gave me uh, a, a different lens through which to appreciate this fic even more than I already did. So yeah, this was This is a Kind of Grief by Nima Memory. Um, it is a wonderful, wonderful Yasha character study. Um, we didn't get into it. It is tagged Bo Yasha uh, because um, there's some flirting that happens in the beginning. Um, Yasha is gay. Yasha is gay. And we love her. Yes. Um this is also very much a look at Yasha and Molly's friendship. Um, I think it is a not only a wonderfully written fic, but also um, 
something that manages to be a really fantastic glimpse at fandom at a specific time, and yet also something that is held very true uh, even two years later, uh, which is very impressive given the amount of canon that has happened between the writing of this fic and now. Uh, the writing is just phenomenal. I really, really loved this fic, and I would highly recommend you check it out. My fic for this week is Strange Darling by Etymology Playground. It is a fic for the C-drama show The Untamed. Um, it is Longwanji Wei Wuxian. Uh, we have discussed this show and this pairing once before, I believe in episode 15. So if you're looking for sort of full context for the show, uh, I go into it a bit more in depth there. And if you're looking to really get in depth with the canon of this show or with the book that it was based off of, um, there are some really great fandom primers out there. Literally, if you Google like the untamed primer, you'll find some good ones. So I would recommend checking those out if you want sort of full context. Uh, but for this fic, what you need to know is that The Untamed follows uh, our two main characters, Wei Wuxian and Long Wan Ji. They are both what are known as cultivators, um, and this story sort of follows their lives from when they're about, like, 17, 18, um, up until much later. Uh, one thing to know that's sort of the central point of the story, I guess, um, Wei Wuxian sort of goes semi-dark side in the middle um and then also spoiler horns thank you um he does die uh in the middle of the book he is then sort of resurrected 16 years later and they are reunited and they sort of finish solving the mysteries of what happened 16 years earlier prior to Wei Wuxian's death uh but this fic takes place after Wei Wuxian is is back from the dead um and yeah, so that's that's something that you need to know to be able to understand both the story of the Untamed and to understand what's going on in this fic. Um, specific to this fic, I think what you should know is that along with our sort of main pairing of Long Wan Ji and Wei Wuxian, there's two other cultivators who are side characters in the story, uh, Sung Lan and Xiaoxing Chen. Um, they are also uh, cultivators. They don't belong to an official family sect. They're more like wandering cultivators who have their own sect based more on beliefs and principles and not blood ties. Uh, our two main characters meet them earlier in the story, like before Wei Wuxian's death, um, and before he even actually like kind of goes down or like starts down the path that will lead to his death. Um, and I think as an audience, we're definitely supposed to sort of draw parallels between the two pairs. Um, so they they encounter them many years later, again, after Wei Wuxian is back from the dead um, in what is known as the Yi City arc of the story. It's uh, kind of complicated and I'm not going to get into it, but basically it's really sad, uh, pretty tragic and kind of fucked up. Sunglan makes it out alive um, with basically Zhao Jingchen's sword and the remnants of his soul in a bag. And it's very sad. So that's basically where this fic picks up <laughs> um, with Long Wanji and Wei Wuxian like walking away from that, that part of the story, along with uh, the characters who are often just referred to as the juniors, um, who are a bunch of sort of like Lan sect disciples as well as Jinling, um, who are all in their like mid-teens and basically following uh, Wei Wuxian and Long Wanji around like little investigator puppies. 
Um, but yeah, this this fic is sort of a like missing scene type fic. It slots into canon pretty well, although it does pull some bits from the book instead of the drama adaptation. But I don't think you really need to like know book canon to read it. I haven't read the book, and it was easy for me to understand. Um, but yeah, it just sort of slots into canon pretty well. It's just a little like sort of missing scene kind of fic. Um, it's pretty sad, but with a happy-ish ending. Uh, it's sort of an exploration of of their grief and of Long Wanji's grief in particular. Um, so I think for content warnings for this, I, I don't think there's a lot for the fic itself. I think it's more about like the canon that it's it's set within. Um, but I would say for the fic itself, uh, like discussion of death and grief, past trauma, PTSD, um, for sort of what you need to know to read the fic, uh, death, violence, the canon material. But yeah, um, it, the fic itself is mostly dealing sort of with um, like grief and PTSD. But yeah, before I get into like my thoughts about it, my friends who know so much about The Untamed, what did you think? Yeah, as an expert on The Untamed, who has seen every episode... I think this was good. As someone who has not, <laughs> I also thought it was very good, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think when we, we read the first fic, which was the absolutely true story of the Yiling Patriarch by Aubrey Lee, yeah? Um, yeah. Hell yeah. I was like, okay, I think I get this pairing. Like, I see why fandom was like, yes! And then I read this fic, and I was like, oh, I really think I get it, actually. <laughs> Wow, it was really good. And it like hurt a lot of my feelings, even though I don't have the canon context. To be fair, the way that Brenna described some of like this arc really hurt my feelings just by itself. <laughs> yeah, it. I thought it was such a deft description of character and study of character for someone who really doesn't know a whole lot about what is going on in this show a lot of the time. Um, I mentioned the Context's vid show earlier. Four of the 11 like video premieres were uh, for The Untamed. <laughs> and every single video, I was like, okay, I feel like I know The Untamed. And then I would see stuff that I was like, what is that? What, <laughs> it, what is happening there? Who is that? What are they doing? What's going on? It's a long show. It's 50 episodes and each one is like an hour. So yeah, that makes sense. Oh, yeah. So there is, I was just like, what's happening? So I really don't always have a lot of context. But I think what I what context I did have definitely helped me to understand this fic. But I also felt like this fic does a lot of work by itself to make you invested in the characters to make you invested in the pairing, uh, to make you get a little bit at least of your bearings around like where they are in canon. Do I know what's supposed to happen in canon after this? Not at all, even a little bit. But like, I think I still felt oriented and situated in a way that I think it's easy to not be in a filling in the gaps of a canon you've never seen fic. So I really appreciated that. And I thought that it was just so well written and well done. I had a really good time reading this, even though it made me quite sad. Yeah, um, just before I talk about the fic, which I liked a lot, I just want to say I think it is so funny that, Bren, you were like, yeah, this is 50 episodes and each episode is an hour, yeah. because in my brain that sounds like so much. And I know in this pod, like, Nick has talked about not watching a lot of TV. Uh -uh. I'm very similar. I've watched a little bit more than Nick, but, like, in the past couple of years, like, I, I, do not, I do not watch TV. Um, 
And it's just pairing that like, wow, 50 hours of television, too much for me, versus literally Nick and I watching four hours of Crit Roll every single week. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm pretty sure like at this point, I could probably watch this show in a week. When I first watched it, it took me like three weeks because I like had obligations outside of my home and work. But now, mm-hmm. now there's nothing. So <laughs> it was just so like, funny the way that my brain frames things I don't know like 50 hours of a tv show just sounds like simply so much but not 400 hours of campaign two of critical role okay anyway um yeah wow Bren had told us before we read this fic that this was much sadder than the one that we read before so I was like a little bit prepped except not really because it's still just like stomped all over my heart but it it did so with care. Like, it was a deliberate stomping on my heart. And then it does, does it end happily? Like, I don't know, in the future, like, past this moment, maybe not so much. But for this fic, like, very much so. Like, it is, it is tender. Um, stomping with care is killing me. <laughs> stealing that. Um, I, I just, like, especially for the first half of this fic, where it is very much sad, there were so many moments to me that felt like, almost like a funhouse mirror of what I would expect in a happier fic. Like my note for this read that this fic feels like the ghost of intimacy, the sorrowful side of what could have been love and joy. Like there's a moment in the very beginning where Songlan uh, presses a kiss to each of their cheeks and it leaves like an, an ash behind because he's a zombie question mark. It leaves uh, like, what is he? It leaves like blackened blood that he coughed up earlier. <laughs> Great. That, um... <laughs> no, it's, that's, I mean, it is gross. Like, that sounds grosser than I think, like... No, it's it's probably that gross. It's pretty yeah. gross. Yeah. But Wei Wuxian reaches out to sort of, like, wipe it off of Long Wanji's cheek. And my brain was like, in another fic, this would be some, like, you know, really, like, tender... Oh, maybe they were, like, baking together and there's, like, flour on his cheek or whatever. You know, you've seen that moment in Fluffy Fix... A dozen times, a hundred times, whatever. And in this fic, it's, again, like I said, like a funhouse mirror where things that could, in a different context, be, like, tender and intimate in a happy way in this way are just, like, very sad and devastating. Um, And sort of, like, I don't know, I guess along the lines of this fic being sorrowful, um, something that I was thinking about a lot is the barrier gaze trope. Um... There is a bit where Wei Wuxian, like, doesn't really understand why Long Wenji is so torn up about what happened. Like, he understands, obviously, that Yi City was horrible, but he's saying, like, you know, we didn't we didn't know them that well. Like, why, why is what happened to these two other cultivators impacting you so much? And in his internal narration, Long Wenji thinks their deaths feel like our deaths. And that was so absolutely brutal for me to read. And it just made me think about, um, honestly, like, not just young queer kids, but like queer folks growing up who are looking for representations of themselves in media and only finding stories with a sad ending if they find those stories at all. Um, and, you know, like this fic ends happily for Wei Wuxian and Long Wenji. And um, even though maybe representation isn't exactly the way we would all ideally like it to be, I would argue that it's better now than it was in the past. Um but there's still so many stories where queer folks don't get their happy ending, where the only purpose that they serve is the barrier gaze trope. Like, you can have this 
but only if it's tragic and only if it serves to like move the plot forward in that direction. Um, which is really difficult. And it just had me thinking about something that like my friends and I have just discussed a lot personally, which is, is it better to have any representation, even if it's not ideal or to have no representation whatsoever? Um, if the stories you see of yourself are only sad ones, is that better than not seeing yourself at all? Um, I don't, (laughs) I don't have an answer to that. Um, and I don't think this is exactly what this fic was like (laughs) trying to ask, but it is something I was thinking about a lot reading it. Um, I think there are a lot of things in this fic that map, again, to bury your gaze and also just sort of to that general question, um, about queer representation. Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting, too, specifically in the context of The Untamed as, like, a show that I think most people who watch it would consider, like, queer, but is also censored um, due to it being a Chinese drama. Um, so I think I think it sort of rides that interesting line between, like, what is representation anyway, like, within the source text, and what it, what does it mean to have, like, a canon relationship in the novel versus, like, like what do we define Long Wan Ji and Wei Wuxian's relationship as in in the drama? You know, like I think fans define it as romantic. I certainly would. I think that's the way it's meant to come off. <laughs> but there are certain boundaries on like what they can actually depict and like what they can actually say um, about the relationship. So I think I think those questions are sort of even if they're not built into like the fic, they are sort of built into the show and like what you're talking about when you talk about it um, in a way that I think is interesting. Yeah, something that really struck me about this fic was how centered it really is on trauma, even though ostensibly it's about them like getting together. Like they're they're not just like pining and then they're together. There's so much else going on here. Um And I was thinking about, like, this language of affection that you have to build or rebuild after something traumatic happens, right? Like, Lan Wangji has been by himself, really, for 16 years, or at least without Wei Wuxian for that long. And then he comes back, and, like, that is good. But it's not only good, and it's not only good immediately. There's, like, so much baggage that comes with that and so much that you have to confront. Um... And so I found it really interesting the way in which the conversations happened in this fic because, like, I think a lot of stories would want there to be this, like, boosh, you're back, we're done, we've solved it, oh, and I'm in love with you, I'm so sorry, I never told you, I should have told you, da-da-da. But, like, in this fic, you have, like, Lan Wangji, who's, like, you pushed too hard, like, to Wei Wuxian, who has to communicate that he wants Wei Wuxian around by sending a little, like, paper man of himself. I really loved this. He, like, puts some magic into sort of a paper doll that gets sent down that he can perceive through and, like, make move, but he doesn't give it a mouth, so he can only, like, nod or bow or shake his head and just, like, hang out on Wei Wuxian's shoulder. And it's very, very sweet, but it's also so interesting of, like, this is this incredibly... (laughs) like one-to-one really metaphor for being repressed and not being able to ask for what you want, but still wanting it and still wanting someone to understand that that's what you want. So I think there was just, this fic had so much to say in like what, 6,000 words about how you can rebuild a relationship or build something new out of something that was really, really broken and ruined. 
Yeah, and I think, like, it's an interesting portrait of both of them because I think it's a long one G who, like, on the one hand wants Wei Wuxian to understand what he's going through, but on the other hand, like, can't talk about it. Like, it's really sort of this look at, like, just the surface of this, like, giant well of grief that you know he feels. And that's sort of, like, the the premise of this fic is, is him sort of having to confront that a little bit. Um, like, seeing that back from uh, Song Lan when they depart. Like, like he says to him when they're leaving, like, Long Wan Ji says to him, I see you. And it's like, fuck. <laughs> like, God, it's so sad. And and I think it's, I think it's a really well-done portrait of, like, yeah, like, Long Wan Ji sort of, admits like he he can only exist in two states either entirely closed off or like so open that it will like kill him basically and he like can't bring himself to fully express his feelings to Wei Wuxian and he's kind of mad too a little bit that like Wei Wuxian doesn't get it fully um and I think I think that's interesting too because Wei Wuxian's characterization is, is definitely someone who will always make a joke first, who's sort of like, haha, me, I'm always fine, even if he's like literally dying on the ground. <laughs> um, and and as someone who like is a little bit oblivious to like Long Wanji's feelings throughout of all of the show and like a little bit to his own as well. And I think I think there's sort of this interesting tension between like Long Wanji being like, why does he keep asking me if he like he knows he has to know like why is he sort of making me do the work of saying it um when like i think that there's this tension between like Wei Wuxian knowing but he doesn't like know no he like won't let himself fully know because i think then if he if he does he also has to grapple with this like horrific thing that he wasn't even there for like he he left he died and he, he has to like I don't think he wants to confront that fully, you know? It's like, I'm back now. Let's just be happy. And Long Wanji's like, yeah, I can't do that, though. Um, and I, I think, like, there's a really delicate balance between them and this fic. And I think it's handled so well by the author. This just sort of, like, this tension between, like, the quiet intimacy where on the one hand they do have the same desires and wants. And on the other hand, have this, like, huge chasm between them of these 16 years that they haven't really dealt with. Bren, something I was thinking about as you were saying, like, Wei Wuxian is the type to be like, no, like, I'm fine, whatever. Um, In the middle of me just, like, going through it with this fic, just really being in my feelings, there's a bit where they're talking about, like, if they've kissed anyone before, and Wei Wuxian is like, oh, like, no, I was too annoying, and then I was too evil. <laughs> um, <laughs> which made me burst out <laughs> laughing. And I was like, how dare you make me laugh in the middle of, like, me also going through all this emotional turmoil. And also him being evil, I don't think was that funny in the show. No. Correct me if I'm wrong, Brenna. I don't think it was that funny. It was hysterical. It wasn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I just thought that was, like, it feels so right for what I know of his character and what you were just saying that, mm -hmm. like, instead of, like, digging into maybe the trauma or the way that people perceived him in the past and continue to perceive him now, he's like... Haha, <laughs> yeah, nobody kissed me. I was evil. Funny, right? Like, like I don't know intimacy, but it's fine. Like, no one's ever loved me in their life, and I'm good with it. <laughs> Yikes. Wei Wuxian, like, maybe it's okay if we unpack some of those feelings. Like, maybe actually you should dig into that even just a little. Well, I think, like, what's interesting about, like, this, this fic, but also, like, this pairing, and in some ways other, like, kind of related content, like... Some of the other like C dramas I've watched that are kind of in the same genre is like mm -hmm. 
why do the main characters never fucking talk about anything? <laughs> like, I get that that's kind of the the vibe of it, like, how these stories are written, and, like, part of the genre is almost, like, all of this internal pining and angst, but it's, like, unpack your feelings, my dude. Like, I think you'll be better. <laughs> I'm just wondering why you would unpack your feelings when you can shove all of them into a carry-on suitcase and throw them into the river. <laughs> Is just my thought. Because sometimes that suitcase will like come back to you 16 years oh, later. Oh, shoot. <laughs> and yeah, then you're like just like stuck with, with water it. And... Yeah, it's like bigger yeah. and worse. And that you never thought bad. you'd see the suitcase again, but like here it's it like is. It's like open and the clothes are everywhere. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. It's like you, th- you think you've gotten the suitcase and then like months later you're walking down the river and you see you're like, oh, no, wait, that's my shirt. Like, like oh, you, no. sp- you like... spent three years in seclusion packing that suitcase, mm-hmm. but here it is. Yeah, so that was Strange Darling by Etymology Playground. Um, It's a really intimate look at the sort of grief that Long Wanji and Wei Wuxian, but, you know, Long Wanji primarily in this fic, um, still have to grapple with uh, after Wei Wuxian is back from the dead. um, And and it sort of sets it up after the events of Yi City, I think, in a really poignant way. Um, It's like sweet and sad and a little bit funny. Like the juniors are funny throughout it, even as like the angst is really heavy. Um, I think it's just a beautiful example of how much you can do in a small amount of words in a small time frame uh, to really reveal a lot about characters. Um, Yeah, so if you enjoy fic for The Untamed, I would definitely highly recommend this one. And I'm really glad my co-hosts wanted to talk about this show again with me. So my fic for this episode is called His Own Strange Altar by VX Mins. It is a BTS fic, and the pairing is Taehyung Jimin. So if you're not familiar, uh, BTS is a seven-member K-pop boy group who debuted in 2013. They sing songs, they dance, they've gone viral many times, they have a lot of fans, uh, including us. Uh, yeah, that's really honestly most of what you need to know about them from uh, the real world, because this is one hell of an AU. Um, in this fic, our protagonists, Jimin and Taehyung, whose stage name in real life is V, that's important later, are very sexy supervillains. Um, don't take it from me, take it from Jimin, who is like, God, I'm so evil and hot. (laughs) That's a paraphrasing, but it's really how the vibe is of this fic. I'm just saying. Uh, They are married as Park Jimin and Kim Taehyung, just two guys who have jobs and live their lives. Aside from being just husbands with jobs, though, uh, on the side, they independently of each other, are supervillains. And it's pretty cool. They don't know that they are married to a supervillain, though, let alone the supervillain that they do villainous things with. So um, there's some, like, identity porn there. That's the name of the trope, which always throws me off because I feel like it should be, like, a kink or something. But, like, (laughs) it's not hot, at least in this case. It's just, like, they just don't know. Anyway, um, the two of them, as they are, you know, doing horrible things, uh, often butt heads with Seagull, uh, who is Jungkook, 
And he's kind of like the superhero of the city who tries to protect it. But everything is not that simple. There is a lot of questions of gray morality and who is good and who is bad and what it means to be good and whose life is disposable and all that good stuff. So it gets into that a lot. Um, general plot wise, a lot of this fic deals with Jimin trying to find Taeyang, who disappears one day, uh, Weirdly, at the same time that supervillain V is sort of struck down by this strange growth that comes out of a portal that he created. You know, just like your average everyday going on. Don't you hate it when you create a portal into another plane and then like this weird vine comes out and touches you and then you fall unconscious? Yeah, a vine with a sword. Ugh, Yeah, Sucks. Just another Tuesday, am I right? (laughs) Well, in in the canon of this fic, kind of. Honestly, (laughs) yes. Yeah, so Jimin is trying to find Taeyang, and when he does, ooh, that's his husband. Spoilers for the fic. So I do have some content warnings for this fic. I'm just going to read them out of the author's notes because I think the author did a pretty good job at stating them comprehensively. So the warnings for this fic include superhero movie levels of violence, semi-explicit sex, unrepentant murder, vague dom-sub, and the use of electricity during sex. So if any of those things are like no-goes for you, Maybe don't read it, because they all, I would say, feature pretty prominently. We'll get into more about the plot and how everything plays out, and also how some of these questions of morality come up uh, a little bit later. But first, I would love to hear how the two of you found this fic. I really, really loved this fic. It was interesting reading a fic for Veeman, because for as popular as Veeman is, which is Mm -hmm. very popular in Mm -hmm. fandom... I feel like almost everything I, like, read or see, they're a side pairing. Like, Mm. so rarely do I read fic or, like, come across fic where they are centered. Because I'm not just, like, searching on AO3. It's sort of, like, what I come across on my It's funny, though, because we brought... This is the third BTS fic we brought to the pod. And one of the other two was Vivin. It was (laughs) the same pairing. (laughs) Yeah, wow. The ratio of reading Vivin fic on this pod is much higher than my general ratio of BTS fic. Um... But yeah, so it was really fun to read something that centered them. Also, for as much as I love a superhero story, and y'all know that I love a superhero story, I almost never read like a superhero AU. This is the kind of fic where I think like if it wasn't recommended to me, I'd be like, oh, that's cool. But it's not something I like gravitate towards reading. I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's because I spent so many years in a fandom where superheroes like was the canon. So if I wanted a superhero story, I would probably just read that. Um, but this was like so, so fun. And I think especially fun because they're super villains. And like you said, this fic digs into like gray morality. Allegedly Siegel's the good guy, but like he kind of in this fic, like, do you like him? Ooh, I don't know. Probably varies by reader, but like the fic gives you a lot of reasons to like question, um, why he's seen as a hero or at least like, at least like question his actions and his motives, um, which I thought was so fun. This fic takes place over a very short amount of time. Like, you are introduced to Jimin and Taeyang as they're living their lives, and then pretty soon after, the whole V Taeyang thing happens where they both go missing. And then it's this, like, really extended emotional process for Jimin as he tries to convince himself that Taeyang isn't missing, and then he goes looking for his husband, and then he is instructed to track down V, and he's like, V's fine, but I just want to find my husband. Spoilers, they're the same person. Um, But I don't know. I just, I thought the pacing of this fic was something that was so interesting because it's 30K. It's just under 30K. And 
it is really just a really drawn out look at Jimin and his emotional state. Um, but at no point did I feel like it was like dragging or anything. Like, I think that could be such a hard thing to balance, um, making it so extended over such a short amount of time. But I think this author did it really, really well. And also, Jimin is a sexy villain. What more could you want from a fic? Um, yeah, honestly, this fic kind of blew me away in a way I wasn't expecting. Like, Reed said this a little bit, but I think I'm even more so where, like, this is no shade to AO3 user VXmans, but this is something I would never click on. <laughs> like, I don't really read a lot of Vman fic. When I'm reading BTS fic, I heavily prefer canon compliant or adjacent. Um, superhero AU is not something I look for or, like, gravitate towards. Um, yeah, like, I think even if this got wrecked to me, I'd be like, that's nice. <laughs> I'm really glad you enjoyed it. But since this is a podcast where we read these fics, I read it and it was amazing and it was so good. And I don't know if it will make me click on things like this more in the future, but it <laughs> it did execute its like given tropes to the fullest extent, I think. Um, I really was won over by the Vemen of it all in this, in this fic, who like are, again, are pairing I don't read for very often at all. Um, I really liked that it was established relationship. Again, not something I usually go for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like the identity porn aspect, even in superhero fic, I don't usually vibe with that that much because I feel like coming from Marvel, I'm always like, well, but they know who they are. Like, <laughs> I think <laughs> coming from Marvel, the movies specifically, where like there is never any concealment of like their identities as people. Like it just, I was always like, that's here, okay. This one, it was really good. It had me like on my at the edge of my seat, like when Jimin was like found V, but didn't know it was Tay yet, and was like che checking him for injuries and stuff. And I was like, oh my god, um, <laughs> like it was just really good. Like I don't want to be like, oh, I was so surprised it was good. I was just surprised that like I became so invested in it, like so fast. Um, I think Jimin is a really compelling POV character in this fic. Uh, I really enjoyed seeing him sort of struggle with all the things that he struggles with throughout it, um, both his own mor morality um, and like his own sort of placement as like, he knows he's not like a quote unquote, like good person, but he still thinks he deserves good things. And he kind of struggles at the beginning with like his reasons for sort of doing this supervillain stuff compared to V, who he doesn't know is his husband, but, like, they are the two main sort of supervillains of the city. Um, and, like, he's struggling with that. He's, like, and then he struggles later with, like, knowing that Tay is V, and, like, where does that put him? Like, Tay has lied to him for seven years, but Jimin has lied as well. And, like, I just found all of that so well done in this. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, and, yeah, again, like, the tropes in it, I just found so delightful. It was so good. I liked it a lot. Okay. I was so glad because I feel like we talk on this show or at least reference a fair amount that we like have pretty different reading tastes, but this fic felt like it was such an emblematic <laughs> thing to talk about in that regard because I saw it. It came up on my timeline on Twitter and it took me about 0 0.6 seconds to be like, let's go, let's go, let's go. I was so excited. <laughs> And then a few weeks ago, I was like, I want to bring a BTS fic on the pod because I have like 
my backlog of Rex is disgusting. Oh, mood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was going through and I, I was talking out loud in our group chat and I like without input from you all eventually just landed on like, oh, but I want to talk to you guys about this fic. I want to hear what you have to say. And like, I knew you weren't going to read it otherwise <laughs> if I didn't like make you for the show. I was going to say like, I might have eventually, but I think realistically what would have happened because I had seen it a lot on my timeline, mm-hmm. like people were raving about it is I would have opened the fic, mm-hmm. put it in my marks for later, and then mm. it is anyone's guess. go to die <laughs> well, sometimes. It's anyone's guess whether or not I would have gotten to it, just in the sense that, like, yikes, my marks for later continues to grow. And I do pull from it, but not at a rate that is, like, <laughs> conducive to keeping it at a low number. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Oh, I just, like, it's one of those fics that I read and I immediately wanted to know, like, what y'all would actually think about it. Like, I just wanted to be like, ah! It also is a fic that, like, had I seen this on my timeline, I would have been like, wow, Nick would love this. Like, <laughs> like I knew immediately it was such a, like, it caters to so many of the things that you like in in fic. And I was happy for you that you enjoyed it so much because I feel like sometimes you open a fic, like, you, the general you um, opens a fic where you're like, oh my god, all of my favorite tropes. And then... Mm. it's just not exactly what you wanted and so I feel like Mm -hmm. it's so rewarding when it is no so I was like really excited that you liked it so much I guess um but yeah like I wasn't sure what my reaction would be like I didn't think I was gonna dislike it obviously I was like yeah bring it for the show but there's varying levels of like like to love to I want to scream from the rooftop about any given fic something that I found really fun in this and that I don't think I tend to see or at least like I hadn't seen a lot of in Marvel is like in a world in which superheroes exist and battles are happening what seems like daily or the very least like weekly that cause massive swaths of damage Mm -hmm. what is the justification for people continuing to live in these high-risk cities (laughs) just like a normal person like they're nine to five yeah well so there's a scene like the scene where V ends up going down um where Jimin is in a meeting at his law firm yeah. Yeah. He's in a meeting at his law firm and like one of the other characters, Jisoo, is distracted, like looking at her phone. Um, and basically like you can hear the sounds of battle like happening in the background and some of the people are kind of paying attention to it, but like also kind of not really because this just happens all the time. Um, and I found that so funny because like, I don't know, I think in some canons, both for superhero like things like DC with Gotham or whatever, or in um, AUs, I think some authors choose to like explore it and some don't, and both are valid, but it is just such a funny thing for me to think about like, how how is the author choosing to frame this? Like, is it unusual that there's a blowout battle on the street? No, not in this world. In this world, like par for the course. And it's like, okay, what about the people who are just like, uh, yeah, shoot, man, like, can't go into work. Like, my building was, uh, sucked into an interdimensional portal. Brutal, gotta relocate. Yeah, and, like, in this fic, too, uh, after Tay goes missing, Jimin's really worried. Um, and he doesn't, he obviously doesn't know that he's V yet, uh, but he's, like, watching all this footage, like, looking for Tay in the background, looking to see if he can see Tay, like, get sucked into one of, like, V's portals. Um, and then he's, like, waiting all morning because at, like, 6 a.m., there's a published list after each battle mm-hmm. of all the people who died. And I was like, what the fuck? Oh, it's pretty <laughs> like, messed up. That's really sad. And like, it, I, maybe I was misreading this, but it kind of seemed like that was like a service that like Jungkook 
provided too. Like it kind of made it sound like that was like a list he sent the city. And I was like, why would you live here? (laughs) (laughs) Well, because like Jungkook as the hero seagull has access to a bunch of like really advanced tech. And so it sounds like that was a sort of, uh, yeah, like mm-hmm. a, a almost like a placating gift to the city mm-hmm. because you get like, mentions. Sorry, I killed people, but I'll tell you who it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so you get mentions because this is from Jimin's point of view that the city views Seagull as a hero, mm-hmm. but if if Seagull is the one who is responsible for destroying half a building, that gets pinned on Jimin, who's a uh, superhero. Nope, who's super villain? <laughs> alias Ooh, is Calico. It's so hard to tell the difference. <laughs> well, like okay, in this fic, like Jimin is. Definitely a super villain. No, but, he's a villain. But Seagull, like, yeah, like, if he destroys half a building that gets pinned on Calico, or, like, he isn't, like, he being Seagull is not afraid to use, like, really brutal force against other people, but the city chooses to see him as the good guy, which is so interesting, and, like, I'm gonna skip ahead a bit, yeah. but, like, um, so Jimin gets instructed by Shuga, who knows, like, everything in the city, to go find V, and by finding V that he'll find Taeyong. Um, and as we sort of mentioned, like, this weird vine creature thing came out of one of V's portals and, like, basically attached to him and is sucking away his life force. And when Jimin eventually gets to Seagull's hideout where V is being kept, um, he's just, like, in a cell slowly dying and, spoilers, (laughs) Namjoon is there because Namjoon is the one who has been, like, building Jungkook's tech. And there's this, there's this bit where Namjoon was, like, Jungkook just wants to like let him die and I hate this Mm -hmm. um so even though we're on theoretically opposite sides I'm going to let you save him because I don't agree with this at all Mm -hmm. and it's like that's really horrible like that is absolutely brutal to think of Jungkook looking at V Taeyong like slowly withering away and being like yeah this is fine I'm just gonna let it happen and it's worse too because after Taeyong is rescued and like is briefly comatose and then he wakes up. Like he says, like that he was in so much pain, and that's so horrible. And I'm sad. Yeah, I mean, like the thing that I think it really makes you reckon with is the fact that Jungkook, his decision wasn't to save V, which I think would be categorized as like a morally good choice, even if he's his enemy, or to kill V, which could either be morally bad or morally good because you're killing the supervillain. But instead he kind of just like leaves it up to fate in a really kind of horrible, torturous way. And I think you can see why Jungkook maybe thinks that's like the neutral choice. But from Jimin's POV, it's just horrible. Like it's it's the worst of the three choices. Like obviously saving him would have been the best, but like leaving him like this is worse than having killed him, I think. Um in like in 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 the story but also like in in my own like interpretation reading it like i was like that's the worst one <laughs> why did you pick that um like it's just it's so upsetting to sort of watch jimin like break into this lab and to like find him there and jungkook's like not even really like there when he breaks in like he's somewhere else in the building um but namjoon's the one who's actually like nearby but he's not like trying to, like, help him or anything. He's just there in a cell, and they're just, like, watching the life force be sucked out of him. And I was like, God, this is horrible. Like, and Jimin, like, can't really get over it throughout the fic. And, like, to be honest, I couldn't really either. By the end, I was still, like, on Jimin's side about the whole thing, where I was like, 
that was fucked up, Jungkook. Like, why? Also, I feel like a key thing to point out is that um, Jimin and Jungkook work at the same law firm. <laughs> oh, yeah. And until this moment where Jimin breaks into, like, Siegel's hideout and, like, Jungkook, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Siegel, comes and discovers and, like, them. Like, a t-shirt and, like, sweatpants yeah, or whatever. They do not know, obviously, that each other is, like, these yeah. secret identities. But Jungkook very much knows that Taeyong is Jimin's husband. Uh-huh. And so there is a bit where Jimin has Tae, like, rescued but weak and dying in his arms. And Jimin watches as Jungkook, like, puts together, like, this is Jimin and Taeyong, husbands, uh-huh. who, like, Jimin, who I work with. And then his face hardens and then he chooses to attack them anyway. That is an absolutely brutal part of that scene as well. And I think just adds to that whole, like, gray morality with yeah. Siegel. I I say that in such a skeptical tone because I'm also with Brenna that, like, (laughs) I don't know. I I did not like a lot of Jungkook's choices in this Mm -hmm. fic, even as I thought he was such an interesting character. Like, I love the role he played in this fic. Yeah, I think one thing that's really interesting is the way that Jimin thinks of himself. Because Jimin is a very... (laughs) He has very, very clear ideas of who is and is not disposable and how he lives with himself. So in the beginning of the fic, um, he he just is sort of reminiscing and thinking about times that he's been out, you know, doing things. He has electricity powers. I don't know if I said that. I think I just said erotic electrostimulation in the warnings and then never, like, (laughs) clarified He has electricity powers. He can, like, summon sparks and stuff in his hand and also manipulate electricity and tech and stuff. So um, he's, like, thinking about how they they just kill people, he and Young both. And we never really get a clear understanding. And you get the idea that Jimin might not even know himself of why he is a villain and, like, why he does what he does. You just know that he has so much hatred for the way that Jungkook has decided to be a hero. And, like, it almost seems like Jimin is positioning himself against what Siegel, I guess, um, Jungkook's kind of hero name or whatever, that he he hates that so much that he will be villainous. And there's also the other part of it that's Jimin believing that he and Taeyang deserve to have a happy life. Um, like, he, he explicitly says in the narration multiple times, like, Jimin knows he's a bad person and that he doesn't deserve this life that he has, but it doesn't stop him wanting it and it doesn't stop him going out and getting it. Most of Jimin's villainous activities are ways to get money, honestly, and also, like, depose people who he thinks are bad from, like, businesses or positions of power. And if there's collateral damage, like, whatever, and the justification is that Siegel has collateral damage, too. So what makes them different? What makes Siegel better? There is this, like, underlying resentment through the whole thing. And we were talking a little bit in our pre-discussion about the way this fic ends, which I really wanted to get into, uh, which is it ends at uh, a party for the firm where Jimin shows up with Taeyang, who has since been rescued, recovered. Uh, they they talked about how they're both villains. <laughs> we didn't really mention that. They do. They figure it out. They talk to each other. They're still very much in love and husbands. Um, and like the way that resolves is interesting. It's not like this big explosive fight, but they sort of both decide like we were hiding things from each other, so we're just going to be in love about it, and that's fine. Um, but at the end... Taeyang still does not know that Jungkook is Siegel. So you get this really, really fraught scene at this party where Taeyang 
is talking to Jungkook and like very animatedly engaging with him about like art. Jungkook is like looking like he wants to die kind of because it's immensely awkward and uncomfortable for everyone involved. Jimin's old friend Hoseok, who also has powers, is at this party with Jungkook, but he knows both of them. Everything is super, super complicated, but it leaves you on a note of unrest that doesn't get resolved. No one dies, no one side wins. They're just in this position of... It's almost like not that much has even really changed from where the three of them were at in terms of their personas at the very beginning of the fic. All of the change and the growth and development happened with their relationships outside of those villainous personas. So I really liked the way that it ended. I thought that last scene hit really well. I liked that it leaves you in this space where... You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if one side is going to win or the other, but it almost seems like they're going to be stuck in this stalemate forever, which I think works. It's bleak, but it was never not going to be bleak, I don't think, when you're sitting from Jimin's point of view where like, fuck it, I'm a villain. I might as well be a villain. Well, I also think like leaving it in that sort of stasis feels very true to the like superhero trope. Does anyone ever really stay dead? Not really. Like, if they die, they probably come back. But also, like, that is the story that just gets repeated over and over again is the same sort of fight happening in different ways. And I also just sort of, to that, to the point of it not resolving anything, I think it is a mark of just, like, a really talented author when I can be left feeling like I have so many questions but not feel unsatisfied. Yeah. Because there are so many parts of this fic that, like, we didn't even have time to get into it, but, like, Yoongi and Jin, there's a lot going on there. Mm-hmm. There's, like, some aftermath of, like, the thing that was draining Tay's life force. Like, there's a lot of stuff that you just, like, don't get resolved. But it it didn't, like, leave me feeling unhappy for it, which I think is, again, like, just a strength of the author. Because I mm-hmm. think there it could be so easy for for me to be like, oh, well, the fic was really good, but, like... You know, like, I I felt kind of unresolved with, like, XYZ. No, instead, I'm just sort of like, VX Mins, I know you're probably never going to return to this verse, but, like, God, I would love to pick Uh, your brain over it. Yeah. But I'm I'm also, like, perfectly happy with where we're left off. Like, I think it is a very well-rounded fic. Yeah. I mean, the way I would pay money to read a Yoonjin POV of the same story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But also, like, one one other thing I wanted to touch on just, like, briefly um, before we end here is, um, like, Jimin and Tae do work out what happened uh, somewhat. Jimin reveals to Tae that he is Calico. He has these powers. um, They definitely decide that they're still in love. Like, this doesn't affect their, like, marriage or anything like that. They're going to keep living these lives. They're going to keep working their jobs. Um... But there's a lot that isn't resolved either because we know that Jimin like had these sort of not like issues with V, but like these differences with V that he didn't necessarily have with Young because he didn't know that they were the same person. And a lot of that stuff like doesn't get worked out. And and they don't really talk either about like the fact that they both lied to each other for seven years about this. Um, and like, I'm not mad about that. Like, I actually really like that that's how it approached it, but it it. it it did make me think also of, like, the untamed fic that I brought for this episode of these two characters who, like, are on the same page about some things and, like, one of those things being their relationship, but that there's this big, like, chasm of stuff that they also haven't dealt with and don't really know how to deal with because it might be, like, too hard, some of it. Um, and, like, there's a lot of 
sort of like betrayal and grief mixed in there, I think, for like both couples. Um, and I, I just thought it was interesting, like how this fic handled it. And I think it's one of the aspects that also leaves you with this sort of feeling of things are moving forward, but in some way things are the same in this in this fic. Um, and I did really like how it was handled. I'm, I'm glad Jimin sort of got the time also alone in his head to process some of what happened with V. Like, Tay is, is comatose for like a couple days after Jimin re- uh, rescues him. And I like that this fic gave Jimin that time to sort of be alone with his thoughts about it, because I think it would have been a very different scene had... Tay just woken up immediately after Jimin rescued him, and then they had to confront it then. Um, but I just really liked how that was handled, and it, yeah, the, the couples in these two fics sort of reminded me of each other in that way, even though, like, the characters are so different, the relationship dynamics are so different, uh, but I just like these sort of, like, quieter explorations of, like, the things you talk about versus the things you can't. I would say all three fics had at least some of that in common. Mm-hmm. I think they were expertly framed they were very specific stories and really big worlds and i really appreciated seeing in all three of them main characters who were holding in a lot (laughs) and who were trying to process something big whether we know what that big thing is or not exactly so that was our sick discussion on his own strange altar by vx mins it is a story about oh so many things about supervillains and superheroes and questioning what is good and what is right and also being married to your husband and both of you are supervillains and you're both very sexy for it so I had a great time reading it and I'm so excited we got to talk about it on the pod because like I feel like it's the kind of fic that you finish it and you just want to yell so I'm glad that we got the opportunity to do that Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Fit Click. If you want more of us or to stay, you know, up to date with what's going on in the Fit Click extended universe, you can find us on Twitter at Fit Click. You can find us on Tumblr at fitclick.tumblr.com. We have a Discord, which we have mentioned many times in this episode (laughs) and also just around. Um, But you can find the link to enter in the pinned tweet on our Twitter. So we'd love to have you on any social. If you would like to email us and communicate via epistolary form, you can reach us at thickclickpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you just in general. We think it's great that you listen and have emotions like us. And we would love to know about them. <laughs> we also have merch designed by our very own FitClick host, Brenna. You might have Woo! heard of her. Um, <laughs> it's super cute. Just my opinion. I actually just put one of our stickers in my like bullet journal today. <laughs> cute. <laughs> like the little, the little heart react one. Oh, and the AO3 user blank because I made a spread on like my whips anyway. Oh, nice. No one cares about my bullet journal. I think the stickers <laughs> are cute. Um, so you can find the link to our merch shop on our Twitter as well in that pinned tweet. So check us out. Speaking of our Discord and just general things happening in the FitClick Extended Universe, mm-hmm. um, we are going to be starting a new thing in September called Fit Brunch. Um, if you've listened to various episodes, you have heard us talk about the fact that this podcast originally started as the three of us just going to brunch to talk about fix. Because um, we're so cool. <laughs> we are really cool. <laughs> we have so many friends. <laughs> Um, and throughout the time of having this Discord server, we've had folks say, like, oh, like, 
Nick, in the same way you were like, oh, this is the kind of fic that you just want to scream about. Like we've had some of our fic, let's say like, I read this fic and I'd love to talk about it with people. Um, so we thought it would be fun to do a thing where once a month is what we're aiming for. We'll see. But once a month, one person, um, it'll start with us, but then it'll just go to you, the ficlets, will bring a fic to discuss and just like host an informal brunch um, where everyone reads the fic and gets on a chat and just like has feelings about fan fiction. Um, if that sounds like something you might be interested in, either as someone hosting or if you just want to participate in the discussion, join our Discord where you can get all of the information and the dates and fill out some forms about like how you would like to see that run and what sort of fix you'd be interested in talking about. Yes. Um, so with that, let's talk about what fix we're going to do next episode. Our next episode will be coming out September 4th. Um, we sort of unintentionally themed this one as well. So all of our picks were originally posted as fills for kink meme prompts. Uh, so we're going to be chatting about that. Like what, what are kink memes? Um, what is their role in fandom? Uh, and our fix that we picked from them. Um, Reed, what's your pick? Yeah, my pick is What All This Time Was For by Lady underscore Ragnell, and it is for Daredevil. It is a Matt Murdock, Foggy Nelson fic. Brenna, what about you? Um, all right, so my pick is titled Pairing Pendragon slash Merlin. Um, it is probably, as you could guess, a Merlin fic. Uh, it It is Anon. There's no author who ever claimed this. So uh, yeah, excited to talk about it. Nick, what's yours? My fic is called Skybird by Windswept Fic. It is a crossover between Inception and White Collar. Yeah, so those are our picks for our next episode. Um, we hope you join us then. Bye! Bye.